0: This morning our scripture is found in the book of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. You can find this passage on page 833 in the Bibles in the pew in front of you, and if you don't have a Bible at home, feel free to take these Bibles as our gift to you. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning. It is a great day to be together this morning, and we're glad that you're here with us at Southside. My name is Gary Weber. I'm the senior pastor here. And uh, I hope as you came in, you picked up one of these. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but there's a place if you are a note taker, you can follow along on the back. Also, we have uh, been in a series. This is our third week in a series that we are calling Alive. And I'll talk about that in just a few moments. But if you're a first-time guest with us uh, and you want to catch up, you need to know that our website, SSBC. Dot org or through the app that we have, SSBC Jacks. Uh, we keep an archive of all of our live streams there as well as a podcast. So if you're ever interested in going back and picking up on any or sharing any, anything that we're talking about or that's going on at Southside, you can do that through the website or through the app. So our series began on Easter Sunday, and uh, the series is really about the resurrection, as you would imagine. Obviously, Christians gather on Easter to celebrate the resurrection. The entire Christian faith is centered and hinges on a historic event. And that is the idea that there was uh, there was a, a man who was born, who was the son of God. He lived a sinless life. Uh, that he died a death on the cross, a horrible death on the cross that was to pay for the sins of all the world, for all of us in this room and everybody who's ever lived and everybody anywhere on the planet. And that three days later, God raised him from the dead. And that single event in history is, is what defines the entire Christian faith. But as Christians, we don't believe that the resurrection is only confined to history. It's not just something that happened in history. It's something that continues to shape history and shape the present and shape the future. And so as Christians, we believe the fact that God sent Jesus and the fact that Jesus rose from the dead has as much impact on our lives today as it did 2,000 years ago when it very first happened. So if you're here and maybe you're not a Christian or you don't understand the Christian faith, um, I'm glad that you're here because one of the things we want to talk about over the next few weeks as we look at all these resurrection appearances is what difference does the resurrection make today? What difference does it make in our lives today? So so we're going to kind of pick up where we left off over these last few weeks. But today I want us to, in particular, talk about three things that, that we're going to look at. And it's three things that we all kind of experience. Times in our life where we lose faith. Uh, many of you, if you've lived any length of time, you've had that. You've lost faith in a person. You've lost faith in a system, in a company. Maybe you've lost faith in a, in a, in a way of life. You, you lose faith. We, we have disappointments that we encounter and we'll lose faith. So what do we do when we lose faith? How does the resurrection impact a loss of faith? Also, there's, a, there's another part of our life that just has to do with what motivates us. What, what gives us energy? What gives us drive and passion? And sometimes we'll go through life and we maybe lose our drive or we lose our passion. How does the resurrection speak to what motivates us, what drives us? And, and finally, what is our purpose? Like. What is God's purpose for us in life, and how does the resurrection speak to us about our purpose in life? So we're going to look at these three today through a particular encounter that the resurrected Jesus had uh, with his disciples. Now to to kind of bring you up to speed, we started at the beginning of John chapter 20, and we're continuing through that chapter, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open to the passage Emma read earlier, uh, John chapter 20. But to to kind of set it up, so Jesus has been laid in a borrowed tomb, Uh, Mary shows up at the tomb. And finds that the tomb is empty on Easter Sunday morning, what we know as Easter Sunday morning. It was the first day of the week for for the Jews. And the tomb is empty. So she runs back and she gets Peter and she gets John. And they come and they confront this empty tomb that's there. And then Peter and John uh, leave and go back to the other disciples. And while Mary is still there crying, weeping over this empty tomb, she encounters Jesus. Jesus shows up and appears to her. And we looked at that passage last week. Later that same night, Jesus appears to all the disciples. And that's where we pick the story up. And I want us to look in particular today as we consider this story. I want us to look in particular at three effects that this encounter that Jesus had with the disciples had on their life. Because I think it's the same three effects that it can have on us today if we understand fully what it means that Jesus didn't just rise from the dead, but the fact that Jesus is alive. So let's take a look at each of these three ideas. The first one is this, that the resurrection has the power to revive your faith. It has the power to revive your faith. Look what happened in verse 19. On the evening of that day, so Mary encountered Jesus that morning, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. We don't think much about locked doors today. My guess is for most of us in the room, when you left your house to come to church today, you locked your doors. And when you got out of your car and you came into the building, you locked your car. We're used to locking things when we leave buildings or when we go into places and we're going to bed for the night, we lock our doors. Some of you, how many of you grew up in a house and you never locked the doors? Some of us, yeah, there's a lot. Okay, so you remember, but it's not like that anymore. I mean, we just take it for granted. We lock our doors. But think about this. If just within some of our own lifetimes, we remember a day in our society where doors weren't locked, Now go back 2,000 years, locked doors were not very common. So the fact that the doors were locked indicates just how incredibly afraid the disciples were. After all, their leader had been arrested and crucified, and for all they knew, the religious leaders and the Romans were coming for them next. So they're in the upper room, they're terrified, and they're behind locked doors. But something else important has happened. Remember, it's the evening of the first day. When Mary encountered Jesus, Jesus told Mary, go back and tell my disciples what you've seen. So Mary has already gone back to the disciples and told them that she saw Jesus alive. She didn't just see the empty tomb, she actually saw the resurrected Jesus. Now does it seem like based on this verse that we just read that the disciples believed Mary? No, they didn't believe her. They, they thought it was too good to be true. They thought she must be crazy. They, I don't know what they thought, but clearly they did not believe Mary because they're still hiding inside the room with locked doors. They're still, they're still waiting for something to happen. They're still afraid of, of the Jews. I, I think for, for many of us, when we have an encounter in life uh, where we experience a disappointment, Something doesn't go our way. We have a, a failed relationship. We, we have a bad experience at work and we, maybe we lose our job. Maybe it was all for our fault. Maybe it wasn't our fault. A lot of times we will retreat inside and we'll lock the door of our heart. And, and because we just don't want to get hurt anymore. And so something inside of us begins to change as we face disappointment. Something inside of us begins to, begins to batten down the hatches and we begin to pull away from other people. It's exactly what the disciples were doing here. They thought they were on the winning campaign. They thought their guy was going all the way to the White House. And instead, they, they arrested him, they tried him, and they crucified him. All their hopes have been completely dashed. They are now, their careers have been lost. They have sacrificed everything they have and now they are hiding in an upper room behind locked doors. Many of you who are here today have had that experience and maybe even are having that experience now. And if you were being honest, you would say you are living behind a locked door in your heart. That that you do not want to risk being disappointed, being hurt again. And so you're living behind a locked door. But the resurrection... The resurrection gives us the the power to revive our faith. It has the power to revive and renew our faith. Look what happened in verse 19. Jesus came and stood among them. Do you remember that locked door? It wasn't a problem for Jesus. That he can penetrate locked doors. So so Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Now, Now, I just want you to catch what's happening in this passage because it's really interesting to me. Jesus comes in and he says, peace be with you. But he shows them evidence of the extreme violence that he just suffered. Do you ever think about that? He's saying one thing and he's showing them something very different. Because the wounds that Jesus bears, the scars that Jesus bears, are credentials that he has the right to speak to hurting and broken people. If you are hurting and you are disappointed And you have endured hardship and pain and suffering. Jesus wants you to know, I have too. That that we don't, as Christians, we don't worship a God who's not familiar with pain and suffering. We worship a God who is willing to himself suffer and to enter into suffering with us. And so Jesus speaks peace to them and he shows them the wounds. Now, notice what the disciples saw in the order they saw it. First of all, Jesus passes through a locked door. That's pretty impressive. I mean, if, we're, if you're in a locked room and, and somebody passes through a locked door, it's going to get your attention, okay? That's going to really be something. Jesus passed through a locked door. He speaks to them. They hear the voice of the, of the Messiah that they had followed for three years, but it wasn't those things that really got their attention. Look what it says. But it was only when they saw his scars, look at the rest of verse 20, then, when they saw the scars, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, I think this is really important for us to understand because for some of you who are trying to figure out how you can revive and renew your faith, you're, you're going through everything you can, and you're thinking, you know what? I don't know what's wrong. I know, I know, I've locked myself behind. a a closed door in my heart. I know that my faith is struggling. I know that I'm suffering here and I don't know why it's not working. I'm coming to church. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying because I think it's important for us to understand from this passage of scripture that hearing the message of the gospel is essential for reviving our faith. That is essential. If you're struggling with your faith, it's important that you hear the word of God, that you're reading the Bible. It's important that you're praying. It's important that you gather here to worship, to hear God's word. That is an important part of of reviving your faith. But it's not the only thing that's essential for reviving your faith. Because something else happened to the disciples in this passage that revived their faith. They had an encounter with the scars of Jesus Christ. They saw the scars that were on his hands and on his side. I believe that if we want our faith to be revived and to be renewed and to be restored, we also have to understand the suffering that Jesus endured and Jesus' power to overcome suffering. And here's how we do that. We do that by entering into the suffering with other people. That we live in community with other believers. We have a statement that we use here at Southside that says, circles are better than rows. Here's what we mean. When you come into the sanctuary, you sit in rows. And that's good, and that's important. But we believe circles are better than rows. Because it's in a circle, as you sit in a small group with other believers, and you go through life together, as you see the scars of their life, of of their struggles, as you walk with other people through the hardships, and you see evidence of God's grace in their life, as you see evidence of God's mercy in their life, as you hear testimony of how through faith, God helped them to overcome the challenges, something inside of you begins to be revived and renewed. If you want your faith restored and renewed, hearing God's voice is critical. Spending time with Jesus is critical, but spending time with other people who bear the scars that Jesus has healed is also important. So important that we're gonna talk all about that next week. So I hope you'll come back and be a part of our service next Sunday. But when you are living in community with other believers, isn't it true for you that so many times your faith has been inspired, your faith has been restored, has been rekindled when you have heard of the amazing work that God has done in the life of somebody else? I, I know for me, I, I spend a lot of time in God's Word. You, you guys pay me to do that. I've got a great job. I, I study the Bible. I read, you know, I read commentaries so some of you won't have to. I mean, I, I love it. But, but listen, listen. My faith, many, many times, I would say that my faith is more restored and more renewed by seeing each of you and many of you and the hardships you've gone through and walking with you through difficulties and seeing the way God is working in and through your scars, it does something to my faith. It's not just God's word, although that's essential, but it's also understanding and seeing the way the scars demonstrate and prove the grace of Jesus Christ. So the resurrection has the power to revive your faith, but it does more than that. It also has the power to restore your life. Look what it says in verse 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you have somebody in your life who is a close talker? Anybody know a close, to, you know what I mean by close talker? Like they, like there's, they don't understand personal space, like 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 here they are. They're talking to you right like this, close talker. Like you hope that people like that have a mint on the front of their bulletin every week, not just one. Yeah. I I, I don't know how many of you have been to foreign countries, but in the United States, we have sort of an acceptable personal distance, our personal space. Other cultures in other parts of the world, it's a very different space. There's not much of it there. So Jesus comes into the disciples. He speaks peace to them. And then it says this very odd thing in verse 22. It says he breathed on them. It's like, ooh, what does the breath of a man who was dead for three days smell like? I don't know, I don't know, I'm just asking. What's going on here? Well, this is, this is really, really important. And it's a play on words. And, and it's one that, that I think we need to unpack a little bit to fully understand. Th- that This idea that, that the, ho- the resurrection has the power to restore your life, this verse really captures what's going on in a bigger way that really is a storyline that runs through the entire Bible. So first you need to understand your New Testament is not, or was not originally written in English. It was originally written in Greek. And in Greek, the word for spirit is the same as the word for breath, is the same as the word for wind. So anytime in the New Testament you see the word spirit, breath, or wind, it's the same Greek word. So when it says that Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the holy breath, receive the Holy Spirit, or it said Jesus spirited on them, receive the Holy Spirit. Here's what's really interesting. Your Old Testament is originally written in Hebrew, And the same word in Hebrew that's used for wind, breath, and spirit, it's exactly the same Hebrew word as well. So anytime in the Bible, Old or New Testament, you see the word wind, breath, or spirit, it's the same word, the same concept in the person's mind. So so John is really capitalizing on this phrase, this thing that Jesus said, Because he's drawing our attention to something much bigger. John's gospel, if you go back to John chapter 1, John begins his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word. Now anybody who knew the Old Testament would have immediately known, ah, John is setting up his story of the gospel in the pattern of another Old Testament book. The very first book of the Torah, the the book of Genesis. If you open to Genesis chapter 1, Genesis begins with, in the beginning God created So John is paralleling the the Genesis story. Now, when God created the heavens and the earth, he created them in seven days. There were seven days of creation, six days of creation, and a day of rest, seven days of creation. John, in his gospel, also has seven significant things. John records seven miracles that Jesus performed. Now, he says Jesus performed many, many more miracles than that, but I'm just telling you these seven. Seven days of creation, Seven miracles in the Gospel of John. So Jesus is raised from the dead on the first day of the week. And it is the eighth miracle in the Gospel of John. It's not among the seven miracles. It's an eighth miracle. The eighth, the number eight in Hebrew, in in the, the Hebrew mindset, is the number of restoration or renewal or new creation. In other words, God created the world in seven days. And John is saying... Now God is recreating everything. That the resurrection of Jesus started things over again. Things are new. The old is passed away, and now something new is happening. God is recreating things. If you go back to Genesis, and you see the story of when God created Adam, if you look at the verse, uh, we've got it, Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. We've got it on the screen. This is what it says. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and what's that next word? Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. It wasn't just that God breathed the breath of life into him as if he were doing CPR. Actually, it's the idea that God put his spirit inside of him. He spirited him, he breathed into him, just like Jesus shows up after the resurrection and breathes onto the disciples. But it gets even better than that because we all know the story. What happened? God Breathed in life into Adam. And then he told Adam and Eve, he said, Listen, you can eat from any tree in the garden, just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if you eat from it, you will surely die. Well, they ate from the tree, but they didn't die. At least we don't think they died. Their biology kept going, but suddenly there is a separation between man and God. There's something that puts a distance between them. And suddenly all kinds of bad things begin to happen and sin enters into the picture. And man is no longer living in communion daily with God. Enter a few thousand years later a prophet by the name of Ezekiel. And God gives Ezekiel an image that he's going to use to preach to the nation of Israel. They've wandered away from God. They're so far away from God. They're they're living, but they're not alive. And God speaks to Ezekiel, gives us this image as if he's standing on a mountain overlooking a valley full of dry, dead bones, just nothing but corpses. And listen to what it says, Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 5 through 7. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinew upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. That God was promising, I will revive these dead bones. I will bring life back to these dead bones. And then the resurrected Jesus, on the eighth day, the first day of the new creation, shows up in that upper room, walks through a locked door, says, Peace be with you. Look at the scars in my hand. And he breathes on them. In the book of Acts chapter 2, you see the picture of the disciples all together in the upper room, and, and the wind or the breath of God blows through that upper room, and the church is born. Something new is starting. John, in, chapter, in his gospel, chapter 6, verse 63, says, the Spirit gives life. The same Spirit that was separated from man when he sinned, the same Spirit that God promised through Ezekiel I'm going to breathe life back into you the same spirit that Jesus breathed on the disciples in those early days he says that's what gives life the flesh counts for nothing and so the resurrection has the power to restore life to what is dead and you might be sitting here thinking well wait wait a minute Gary that's that's really interesting that's a pretty cool history lesson but I'm I'm alive i'm checking my pulse you know i'm i'm here and i'm alive Are you really? Some of you know. Some of you are here and you've had experiences in your life where you know good and well. You've experienced this. You've gone through something and your body is functioning. You are taking oxygen in. Your circulatory system is working. But something inside of you is dead. It's not living. It's surviving. And it's biology. But it's not life. And Jesus says, behold, I have come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly. To give it to you completely. I've come to restore life in you. And Jesus reaches into the disciples and he breathes on them. The poet E.E. Cummings said this. Being undead is not being alive. The founding father Ben Franklin once quipped. Most men die at 25 and aren't buried until they're 75. (laughs) Everybody who's breathing is not living. And everybody who's in the grave is not dead. We have to understand the kind of life that the resurrection restores to us has less to do with our biology and much more to do with that intangible thing inside of us that we all know we long for. That we all know that we lack. Listen to what Ephesians says. Paul said in Ephesians chapter two, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. That the power of the resurrection can blow into your heart and blow into your life and blow into your spirit and restore life to you. Some of you are here today and that's what you've been looking for. And you've tried religion, you've tried to read the Bible, you've heard all the stories, but it's never made sense to you. What does the resurrection have to do? Today, maybe for the first time, you understand that if you will surrender in your life what is dead, which is everything, and accept the life that the Lord Jesus wants to blow into you, you can be restored to life today at the end of our service today we're going to have a time of commitment a time of invitation you can respond on the communication card but some of you don't need to wait until you have a chance to respond on a communication card you just need to come forward and say i'm ready to i'm ready to receive life i'm tired of being dead in my sins and trespasses i understand what jesus has done for me and i'm ready to embrace the life he has for me so the resurrection has the power has the power to restore our life it also has the power to renew your purpose to renew your purpose. Now, the reason that Jesus is giving the disciples his Holy Spirit, it wasn't to set them apart and to make them kind of a, a holier than thou club. It wasn't to somehow make them set apart from the rest of humanity, but it was to empower them to carry out the mission he had given them. That Jesus was giving them a very important mission that he knew they could only accomplish if they were to live and walk with the power of his spirit inside of them. Look what it says in chapter uh, 20, verse 21. He says, as the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, this is what uh, we call in church world the Great Commission. Maybe you've heard of it. Every one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, has a verse like this where the resurrected Jesus speaks to his disciples before he goes back to heaven and says, hey, guys, this is what I want you to do. I'm getting ready to leave, and this is your mission. This is your job. This is what I have for you. Uh, And he says in Matthew, he says, go into all the world. And, and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you even to the ends of the earth. Every gospel has the great commission. And John here says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, if you're a Christian, this verse should catch your attention. Because this is telling you the way Jesus is sending you. He is sending you into the world the same way that the Father sent him into the world. So think about this for just a second. What did God do with Jesus? Jesus left all the glories, all the power, all the privilege of heaven and came to earth, was born in a manger. He was born of low estate. He had no authority. He had no power. He had no position. He left it all behind. He lived. He taught. He suffered. And ultimately, he died so that other people would know about God's love and God's plan for their life. And Jesus says in John chapter 20, verse 21, As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. I'm sending you the same way. That you can't stay in an upper room locked behind a door where you think you're safe and accomplish the mission I have for you. Mary, we can't stay here in the garden And accomplish the mission we have. That you are going to have to leave the comforts. You're going to have to leave behind the privilege. You're going to have to leave behind everything that you think is all about your security and your well-being. You have to be willing to sacrifice that and enter into the suffering with other people. Just as Jesus did in order for them to understand God's love. And he says this is the purpose not just of some believers but of every believer. This is why I've called you. I have called you to give you a higher purpose. Your purpose in life isn't just to live a good, moral life and hopefully someday retire and die a peaceful death. That is too small a goal. When God has called you to something eternal, a higher purpose a purpose that it involves not just some small group of people that you may hope to influence while you're living, but, but it's a global mission and a global purpose that God has called his church to accomplish. And he says, I've given you the power to do it because I have given my spirit to you. Jesus died for the world. And the disciples' mission is to go out and tell the world what Christ has done for them. Listen to what he says at the end of verse uh, Verse 23. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, uh, I don't know how many of you come from a Catholic background, but if if, if you do, you you might be more familiar with this verse than us Protestants, uh, because uh, for for some in the Catholic theology, this is where the whole idea of the confession booth comes into play. And by the way, as a Baptist pastor, I'm really glad that I don't have to listen to confession. But but in 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 some denominational theology, they teach the idea that the priest, the priesthood, is given the power to absolve people of their sins. That you go to the priest, you confess your sins, the priest will give you uh, some sort of penance that you have to do, and then it's, that's the way that you can be forgiven, and you hope that the priest is having a good day when you confess your sins. So that you can be forgiven. Now that's an oversimplification, but that's basically the idea that the church and the church leadership retains the authority to forgive uh, sins or not. here's, Here's where the Protestants differ from that, where we differ from that idea. We believe in something called the priesthood of every believer. What that means is that when Jesus breathed on the disciples, he wasn't just offering the Holy Spirit to an elite few people. He was offering the Holy Spirit to anyone and everyone who would receive him as Savior. Revelation chapter three, verse 20 says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone will open the door, I will come in and I will will have dinner with him and he with me. The idea that any of us can have communion with God, that we don't need a priest, we don't need a religious hierarchy in order to have a relationship with God. Now, please don't think that means you don't need me around here because I'd like to keep my job. Um, but but, But here's the truth, here's the truth. You don't, you really don't. That your communion with God has nothing to do with me. My goal is to help you, to equip you, to facilitate your relationship with God, a deeper relationship with God. But I am not the way you connect with the Father. Jesus is the way we connect with the Father. And so what we believe is that every person has the ability to connect with God because of what Jesus Christ ha- has done for them. So this purpose that God has given us through Jesus, that Jesus said, this is your purpose. As I have sent, sent, was sent by my Father, so I'm sending you. Our, our purpose is to go and tell the world the good news that they can have a relationship with God, that they can be connected to him, that their, per- their life can have a deeper, a deeper meaning. So when we as As Protestants, as people who believe in the priesthood of every believer, we don't believe that we are the ones who are extending forgiveness or withholding forgiveness from anyone. Instead, we believe that we're the messengers. Our authority is derived from Jesus himself. It would be as if a composer, Handel composed the Messiah. Beautiful, one of the most beautiful pieces ever written, Handel's Messiah. Um, When you hear it performed, the people performing the Messiah are just performing what Handel has already written. They're not creating it, they're presenting it. It's or like a crane operator. A crane operator who's being a part of a big building that's being constructed. The crane operator is dependent on the architect or the engineer. We believe as Christians that we are we're like the crane operator. We're like the musician. We are simply delivering to people the message that God has given us, the good news that we've also received that Jesus Jesus has offered forgiveness of sins and that you can be forgiven. But if anyone would reject the message of the gospel, they're free to do that. They're free to, to remain in an unforgiven state. But that's, that's between them and the Lord. That's, that's something that they can determine on their own. Our message is simply to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ and to present the gospel to them. As we share the message of the gospel, some will believe, some will receive, Others will not. And Jesus says, you're not responsible for the decision they make. But you are responsible to engage with me in this mission that we have in the world. To tell the world the truth. And the resurrection, the resurrection renews our purpose. It gives us a reason to live. It animates us. It gives us life and it fills our lungs with breath and it motivates us and it restores our faith. So just as God created the world in seven days, John says Jesus showed up on the eighth day and we can be recreated. Everything that's old can be, passed, can be washed away. You don't have to be defined by your history and your past. Jesus says you can start over. And just as God breathed into Adam and gave him life, Jesus stands ready to breathe into you today, to restore life to you, to bring back to life what sin has killed. And just as Adam failed to be obedient to God's call on his life, we as the church stand with an opportunity to join Jesus in his mission, to live in obedience to the purpose that he's given us. What difference does the resurrection make? It makes all the difference. It it can restore faith that is locked behind A closed door. It can renew life that you think has been snuffed out. And it can revive a purpose and a meaning for you to live. Let me just ask you some questions today as we conclude. And these questions are on your bulletin. And I hope you take some time this week to consider them. Maybe even to talk to your small group about them. But let me just ask you this. Is your faith active and growing? Do you feel like your faith is more vibrant and alive today than it was a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago? If not, why not? If not, why not? And it might not just be that you need to read more of the Bible and pray more. That's always helpful. But maybe you need to get into community with other believers and you need to see their scars to see evidence of God's grace and mercy in your life. Is your faith active and growing? Second question Are you alive or are you merely existing? Are you alive? Are you just existing? If you feel like you're only existing, why not receive from Jesus life abundant and full? Why not accept the gift that he has come, that he died to give you, that he rose to prove to you he has the power to give? And finally, does your life lack purpose? Do you feel like you, you don't have purpose or meaning in your life anymore? I believe the resurrection can give you purpose and can give your life meaning and direction. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and pray. And as you're bowing your heads and praying, we're going to prepare to sing a song of commitment and invitation. Maybe today you would want to come forward and and just pray at these steps. We'll have people here who can pray with you or for you, or you can pray by yourself or pray with me. Maybe you would say today, you know what, I'm tired of, of existing in my sin, and I'm ready to receive the life that God has for me through the power of the resurrection. Maybe today that would be your story. Maybe today you just need to recommit yourself to the purpose that God has given you, that Jesus has demonstrated and modeled for us. But I'm gonna invite you to pray and then we'll stand together and we'll sing and you come as the Holy Spirit leads. Father, we thank you for the message of the gospel, for the power of the resurrection, to change hearts and lives. Father, to renew our faith, to restore life, to revive purpose inside of us. Lord, for many of us here today, our faith may feel like it's shriveling up behind a closed and locked door. For others, they're existing, but they know they're not living. For some, they're struggling to find purpose and meaning in life. Lord, I pray that today, in the power of the resurrection, they would find the deepest answer to those deep and troubling questions. And that just in an act of faith, they, they would respond sitting right where they are or maybe coming forward, but Lord, however, that they would not leave here without inviting the power of your Holy Spirit to come into their life, to revive their faith, to restore their life, and to renew their purpose. Lord, we pray that you would use this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.